Hey guys, friend of the show, Shady Rays, has an exciting new offer for all you Passing Dimes fans. For the next 30 days, you can get 40% off when you buy two or more pairs of sunglasses. Just click the link in our show notes or on our Instagram bio to shop these awesome deals. Use discount code TEAM to get the offer. Shady Rays, live hard, we got you. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Passing Dimes. Thanks to some friends of the Passing Dimes community, we were able to get in touch with this athlete who represented Canada at the Paralympic Games in Rio. She's got a bronze medal from the Parapan Games in Peru, and she was recently on the squad who qualified for Tokyo. She's an outside hitter with our Sydney national team. Please welcome to the show, Danielle Ellis. Thanks for doing this. Yeah, of course. It's great to be here. So we're, we're a volleyball podcast, and we don't like to get too serious. We like to keep it lighthearted. But in learning that you work as a first responder in BC, I think it would only be fair to say thank you for all you're doing because I'm, I'm happy with all I do in volleyball, but my roles are far from essential. So thank you to everybody and all your coworkers for all you're doing. It's, it's crazy times, and it's people like you that I think are helping us get through it. Oh, yeah. Well, thanks so much. Yeah, we really appreciate all the support that the community is um, bringing forward to all of us, for sure. So very nice. <laughs> So back to volleyball, you growing up in BC and just talking before the show, I mean, you guys are blessed with maybe the best weather in Canada. So what was it like growing up? What made you fall in love with volleyball? Was there, was there any other sports that really contended or was volleyball going to be the one for you? Oh yeah. Growing up, I definitely played a few sports. Um, I mean, I was soccer was actually probably my main sport until I graduated. Um, I played, started playing volleyball in elementary school as we all do in grade five and six. And then I continued playing all through high school, um, played on the club team as well. And then I was at a camp at Trinity Western uh, when I was 16. There was someone there uh, who knew about sitting volleyball. It had been in the U.S. for quite some time already, and they knew about it. And so saw my prosthetic uh, and put me in touch with someone. So I started playing sitting volleyball that year. Uh, would have been 2007. I played some uh, drop-in at GF Strong in Vancouver at the rehab facility. So that was really awesome. And then uh, I started with the squad in 2008 with a couple of my still teammates. Nice. And, and just for myself and the listeners, just to confirm, uh, you had a, a bad bout with cancer at a pretty young age. And did that affect you growing up? Do you think like playing sports? It sounds like you were, you were super active, which seems to be the BC way. But uh, do you remember kind of going through that time? And it, it sounds like you, you battled through from, from a quite young age. I was really young. I was two weeks old when I was diagnosed with uh, rhabdomyosarcoma. So at two months and two days, I had my right foot amputated. So I grew up in a sport family. Both of my parents played softball all when I was growing up. I mean, I started in gymnastics and the little taught gymnastics at two. And I was playing more competitive gymnastics until I was about eight. Then I switched over to baseball and started playing soccer when I was nine, started volleyball when I was 11, played some basketball in badminton in elementary school, but nothing really held me back. Um, my parents never treated me as someone who was disabled or put a label on me at all. A lot of the times I you know, think it's quite funny. I think they forget that I have a fake leg. Just the other day I was stretching with one of my friends and they asked why I was stretching my right calf. And I had to look at them and just, uh, it, was, it was quite funny. Yeah, a lot of people just don't even notice. I mean, I've just grown up with it, tried to be an able-bodied, you know, person as best as I can. And I can do everything I say except wiggle my toes. And, you know, I'm still trying, but they're just not there. But, um, yeah, no, nothing really helped me back. I mean, 
you have people, I think everybody in, in every walk of life has people that, that don't want to support them and that kind of thing. And I definitely went through that in high school as well. But I came out on top. I had some really awesome coaches in my last couple of years playing club volleyball and and really just tried to support me into playing for Team Canada as well. And so I, I never really felt like I was put down or anything like that. I've played, I mean, running sports, which are not the easiest, jumping sports, I mean, volleyball with one leg, i got to say, not the easiest thing to try to get those heights <laughs> that other athletes do. But, you know, I just work through everything and you just do the best that you can. And that's all that anyone ever asked for me. So I feel pretty lucky for how I grew up. And, and I mean, yeah, being in BC, like I could play all the outdoor sports. They were definitely my favorite played a little bit of beach volleyball when I was 16, but got to say the sand, I'm not a big fan of. So I have stuck to indoor and I'm okay (laughs) with that. (laughs) Well, that's great to hear how active you are. And everything I've learned about LTAD just says that, you know, every kid should try gymnastics. So it's great that we can add another national team athlete to that list is, you know, confirmed bias by me, but evidence that if you start in gymnastics, you can do a lot of sports afterwards. Yeah, I believe it for sure. So looking at your career, when you were first kind of recruited or invited to a, a national team camp, what was your first impression? Like, were you aware of Canada's sitting volleyball system? Or when you arrived at the facility, was that really your, your first opportunity to play? So I had been introduced to the team, and they had put me in contact with someone who was doing the drop-in sessions at GF Strong. So I did a couple of drop-in sessions before I met with Team Canada, and that was kind of neat. But to be honest, that camp that I went to in the summer um, and somebody came up to me and told me about sitting volleyball I didn't even know there was adaptive sports in the world so to me that seems crazy and I think that's definitely something that you know I try to tell every person that I know with any sort of I mean able-bodied or disabled sports run my life for sure I, I don't know where I'd be without them so regardless I think everybody should have the opportunity to play at any age so I, it was really crazy to me to join a team and you know when I went to that first camp uh, I had no idea that there were you know other athletes out there that were playing you know adaptive sports and I didn't even know there was a Paralympic Games which is just uh, it just it blows my mind to be honest with you there's so much more media now I think around the Paralympics you know being parallel to the Olympics and and that sort of thing and I'm really grateful for that Um, I definitely wish that I had known more when I was growing up. So definitely to all those athletes out there, able-bodied or disabled, like go get it, do, do what you got to do and be the best athlete that you can in any way possible. But yeah, I didn't even know about the Canadian sitting volleyball team. It was totally new to me. So uh, I'm just so grateful for the opportunity that I've had over the last, however many years that I've been on the squad. So pretty neat. And what was your first impression of sitting? I think uh, for myself, taking the uh, the Volleyball Canada coaching courses, which now include sitting, which I think was an awesome decision by then, getting to play with it, play it at courses, excuse me, it's super challenging. So what did you think going from the standing game to sitting? Like, it's, yeah, to me, it's hard to move. If you can't dig with one hand, you're in trouble. Like, the game is so fast that uh, I've had a blast playing it, but I wouldn't say I'm good at it. So what were your first impressions when you got to do sitting at a high level? definitely say that it's really challenging to move between the two I mean the biggest thing for me is the movement piece of course I mean a you sit on the court for a day and the next day you just can't sit down because your butt hurts so bad (laughs) but then on top of that uh you can't move anywhere I mean in standing volleyball you just you don't even think about it you just take a step to the left if that's where you've got to go but in sitting now you're using the tools that you use to, to contact the ball to actually move on the court so not only are you just taking a step but you're you're having to put your arms down and out of play to go and move yourself across the court and then bring your arms back up again. And I've got to say the sport is, 
is a lot quicker than sitting. I mean, or than standing. And you know, I we obviously can't hit as hard when you're you know jumping ten feet in the air, but the ball is coming at you so quick because you're max five meters back from where the ball is being contacted. So it, it definitely was crazy to me. And even for the first couple of years that we trained as a as a sitting team, uh, we didn't have a lot of female athletes, so we trained with the men's team. And a, a lot of the men's players had been playing for the men's standing Paralympic team. So we were playing with top-level male athletes being brand new. And I was 16, so <laughs> I definitely wasn't, you know, fully developed in all of my skills, for sure. Still uncoordinated in all of the things. Uh, so it was definitely very different for me um, playing the new sport, but definitely the movement piece is the hardest bit. Um, you know, passing, you know, you, you've got your angles and setting. It's still the same contact point. Um, hitting, obviously, is a little bit more difficult because you don't really have as much of an approach. But for the most part, the rest of it, you could kind of piece together. But that movement bit is definitely the hardest. And how have you found it with uh, this being a national team with, uh, I guess it's fair to say it has a centralized program where you train in Alberta, but everyone's technically remote and comes in for camps, right? So as you mentioned, like the movement takes a while to get used to. So are, are coaches giving homework or how are you developing on your own when you're away from the squad? And then obviously you come together for major games, but for, for the majority of the season, you're kind of on your own plan, right? So how do you kind of navigate through that as a high level athlete, but being independent from maybe a team sport? Yeah, it's really different for sure. We have got a lot of our athletes out of Edmonton. So, I mean, when they've got practices, they've got, you know, it might even have six on a side kind of thing um, to, to play a little bit more. But for us here in BC, there's just two of us. It's me and Felicia. So we train at, you know, before all of this happened, obviously, we trained in elementary schools and racquetball courts and really anywhere that we can slide around on. Um, and then it's a lot of just, uh, technical work, right? So we're working on our ball control and we're working on contact points and we're working on movement. Like we do movement forever, every day. And it's just back. It's like doing lines really <laughs> uh, every practice. So to just get that movement down, cause you really don't, you don't want that soreness. That's the biggest thing is as soon as you don't sit down for a couple of days, um, you do get that soreness when you move for the first time on the court. So when you're going back to a training camp and you're training, you know, 10, 12, 14 hours in like four days, uh, you don't want, you know, your butt to be sore on top of everything else that's going on. So we do a lot of movement drills here at home. And during quarantine, I mean, I feel pretty lucky. I've got a garage that I've kind of taken my car out of and cleaned up. And so I'm sliding around on the cement floor. I've put oh, holes in a lot of shorts, <laughs> but it's really, it's all I got right now. So you got to do what you got to do. Our coach has been really awesome. Them through um, this whole quarantine bit and she's given us homework and that kind of stuff uh, working with different partners um, and for me the biggest thing that I wanted to work on just leading up to Tokyo in and of itself was just my attack approach um, I find it a lot harder as a uh, I'm like missing my right leg so don't really have that back push so just trying to work on my pull um, and work on the push with just the, the little leg that I've got so definitely, I mean, doing a couple hundred reps of that every day in the garage on the cement floor. But yeah, I put holes in a lot of pants. So that's <laughs> quite unfortunate. <laughs> yeah, maybe you could give us some technical insight there. So for you being an outside hitter, sounds like you also have like the same external rotation, right? So you would have your shoulders rotating through the ball and facing the setter. And then obviously contact point would be a big thing, but are you relying on the setter to kind of place the ball well, or is there something you can do in your approach to kind of help the setting window? Like, yeah, I think it is still pretty 
similar, I mean, you're still going to have, you know, that first step that you take is going to be to, to move to the ball, right? So if the setters come off a little bit or wherever the set's landing, you're going to use that first step or first push. For me, it's going to be a lot more with my hands too. So using my hands and my legs to just push into where the ball, into the zone of the ball. Um, and then after that, then it's just going to be the last push. It's just going to be one other push with my right little leg and a big pull with my left leg to bring to be able to, to move without my arm to get my arms up in time to contact the ball it's been the trickiest thing for me I find just because oh it would be so I don't know I think it would be easier if you could just push with your right leg um, and just push back right because then you're opening up your hips to your setter like you're saying um, and then you can still rotate through the ball but for me I'm just pulling with my left leg so if you can kind of picture it you're just kind of pulling into you know your right side so I find that some of the time I'm, I'm come off the net too much and I'm not as open as I need to be. So definitely something that I'm working on at home here, um, which is really something that I can work on. So this quarantine, we'll just call that a blessing in disguise that I've got all this time in the world to, to work on my approach. But yeah, it's fairly similar. I mean, obviously you're not taking steps. We don't really have those, but um, just to still the same movement um, and getting into the, to the proper zone for sure. Now, when we had Sarah Malink on the show, she talked about her being a middle blocker and, and just sharing some different tactics. So with you being an outside hitter, what contributes to your shot choice? Like, are you are hands a popular shot in sitting? Are you trying to blast it through the seam? Like, what are some of the progressions you make that uh, when you're really in rhythm and scoring the ball well, what are some of your go-to shots? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's always obviously going to depend on the defensive defense of the other team that we're playing, but it was really awesome in our last match. We had a lot of uh, open shots down the line, so that was, and it's just obviously it's a favorite shot for a lot of people, so definitely overuse that, but hands is obviously a very, uh, is a big one for, for sitting volleyball. Um, our team in particular is a smaller team as well, so going for outside hands and high hands, um, as soon as you can see that, uh, you know, as soon as you've got a closed block, it's hard to to maneuver through it especially with the court being so much smaller um you've got less less room to kind of play with a lot of the time so definitely as soon as you see that close you, you know high hands and outside hands for sure are are out shots um but i mean as soon as you see a seam i mean who wouldn't shoot for that for sure take down your hardest shot and i mean getting outside and and that sharp cross court as well is, is uh, a pretty good one as well right to the t so yeah oh all, all there nice and and how much are you able to scout other teams at competition? Obviously, like at Halifax with everybody playing as many games as you did, but when you go to, to a major game, say in Rio, are you able to prep a lot of teams or are you kind of identifying what system they want to play with you in the moment and making your adjustments there? Um, I think that our team has done a really good job over the last couple of years of doing a lot more game prep um, than we have in the past. Um, and we definitely find that you do have time. I mean, it's, it's Halifax was tough because, I mean, you were playing one or two games a day. So a lot of it was pre-prep, right, and just trying to take as much video as we could get on other teams um, and pre-planning and that kind of thing. And then playing our first matches in the round robin and kind of getting to see what they're, uh, where they're actually playing and what their different systems are um, to be able to prep for our next game against the team kind of thing. Whereas like in Rio and bigger games like Peru and that kind of stuff, you've got more time between games. So there's definitely more option to, you know, take game video from the day before or whatnot and use that for our prep. Nice. And what stands out in your mind from joining the squad in 2009 and obviously seeing where it is now with qualifying for Tokyo and being a, a top five team in the world? Are, are there just little things that stand out or are they big chunks? Like how much has the squad changed since you first entered? 
I mean, I think it's changed a ton. I mean, there were four of us when we started back in way, way back when. So, I mean, it's crazy because, I mean, most of the same players, me, Amber, at Lad are still on the team. So that's really neat. But definitely the whole squad is different. I mean, I think it was a different mentality back then, too. I mean, we were training with the men's team. So it was definitely, you know, some some of the time different you know, you've got different people, different ways of life and all that kind of stuff. And now our team is, I know we're really structured, like we're really pushing for Tokyo. And I think that the commitment from all of our athletes is different than it was 12 years ago. Um, the program has developed. We've got, um, you know, I'm really grateful for our huge IST that we've got mental performance coaches, strength and conditioning coaches, physios, PTs, like, uh, you know, a couple of assistant coaches. Um, it's really amazing to see how much we've grown um, and how many more people that we can go to with all of this different stuff, I guess. The mental training part of it is definitely something that since I rejoined back in 2016 that I've really focused on. I think that it's something that's really important in sport um, that a lot of people don't, you know, don't really focus on and don't spend a lot of time on. So, I mean, I've got my own mental performance coach here and my own mental performance coach on the team. And I think that everybody just takes everything a lot more seriously, um, maybe in a way, you know, we, we really wanted Tokyo when we fought in Halifax. Um, it definitely was a whole new squad from even, even in Peru. I mean, we put it all out there in Halifax and, and we came and, and we saw what we could manage. I mean, you know, we went six and zero. I mean, that's pretty, pretty great. Um, it's pretty exciting to be now part of a squad that's, you know, we can see the wins and, you know, we haven't really had that before. Uh, we were definitely going into competitions as underdogs, you know, every time. So to be going into Halifax and knowing that we had to fight for spot and coming out on top, um, I think it just, even that teaches us that uh, we're different than we were last year um, in Peru or the year before in world championships, you know, we fought hard battles and, and we, we kind of know how to push now. So, I mean, on top of that, and I mean, I think our competitiveness is just, been able to grow. I think all of the athletes we've kind of had for, you know, a few years now. So they've all kind of grown with the program and we've grown together and we're able to just be more and, and do more and, and be more. And it's kind of a neat experience to have been able to, to grow that much. And 2008, I mean, we were, we were little kids. I was 16 years old. It's, uh, <laughs> it seems like forever ago. <laughs> yeah. Can you give us some examples of how you've developed from that time? Cause it, it sounds like, you know, the squad was brand new and your recruiting athletes and training was with the men. So it's not, not a complete thing that you'll see in competition where, again, in speaking to Sarah, it, it sounds like you guys arrived in Halifax with the expectation to win. So going from trying to get enough players in the gym so you could have a, a meaningful practice to, you know, winning major competitions, how have you developed kind of a personal mindset to, to kind of be a leader, but also just take care of your own business, like you said, whether it be with the IST or your coaches, like what's kind of changed in your game that stands out? think that there's definitely a lot that's changed you know me back in 2008 and me you know leaving the team in 2012 um I think I did definitely had a different mindset that's exactly what it was um I wasn't sure the team was still so new and we didn't have enough players and it was hard right um it's hard to train when you don't have enough people and don't have enough coaching staff to, to make it through and back in 20, 2011 as well when we were in Sao Paulo you know the women's sitting level wasn't even in the Parapanam games yet. So that was, you know, even just the frustration in and of itself. So we're having to fight to, to put women's sitting volleyball kind of in the spotlight. 
And so it, it was just really different. And, you know, you're trying to, to manage a team that's a lot of young players too. I mean, back in 2011, when we were in Sao Paulo, I think most of us were under 20 kind of things. And then we had a few older athletes that kind of rounded it out. But it's, it's definitely different to play with people that don't have as much international experience as to where we are now. Um, and being at, you know, two world championships, the Parapanam Games, the Paralympic Games, and several different world competitions as well, you've just, you've seen more, I think, and just the view of it is different. I think for myself, I've had to kind of grow to be a person that was really selfish when I came back in 2016 and said, you know, I've got to do this. I've got to do me like this, is, you know, coming back, you know, I mean, all athletes like that comeback is hard, right? Um, and you kind of just got to focus inwardly and, and know that like that inward focus is going to help your team as a, as a whole. And then moving away from that and just kind of working more, you know, on that, that group setting, right? So you've got 11 other athletes and, you know, a lot of them are younger now, right? So I'm not, not the youngest player on the team anymore by far. So you kind of want to grow and nurture those younger athletes. Um, and then now if you're in quarantine, it's kind of hard to, I, I think I'm really grateful that we're having team meetings every week. Um, cause I think that that really brings us all together again. Usually we'd be training. I mean, we were supposed to be in Egypt a couple weeks ago. So, um, it's been great to just even see people's faces cause really it's all singular here, right? I mean, I'm working on my strength and conditioning, you know, every other day and doing cardio sessions and doing ball control, but it's all just yourself. Like you're not working with a partner in anything. And the sport is such a team sport. Like you can't do it obviously without the other 11 people on your team, um, and the coaching staff on the side. So just being able to manage that, I think it is a different mindset every day, honestly, uh, sometimes because you've got to be selfish sometimes in sport, right? You've got to take care of yourself because if you're not taking care of yourself, you can't take care of your team. So you definitely have to pick and choose and see and, and make sure we're, we've great. We've got a buddy system as well. So there's actually my buddy this month. So we're chatting back and forth and just making sure that we're doing okay. I mean, this is hard mentally for everybody, right? Um, around the world. So just taking care of ourselves and taking care of each other. And I think it's great to be part of a team sport. I don't think I could ever play an individual sport for sure. Just, you know, you want to have that buddy. You want to have that person on your side to uh, help you out of the, the pit sometimes for sure. Wow, this is great stuff. Thanks so much for sharing all the details you have. So I think that can be a tough lesson for young athletes where they, they want to be internally motivated and they want to you know, have these personal goals, but they also have to be aware that they're in a team sport. So how have you managed that? Or how would you help a younger athlete guide through that where, you know, I'm not a big believer that team goals need to be exclusive from individual goals that they can actually work together sometimes. But how do you, or how would you, I should say, guide a younger athlete to avoid that, that risk of ego and being selfish versus, you know, I'm going to work my tail off because when I work hard, I help the team like that type of mindset. Yeah, I think, I think it's definitely, it's something hard to learn. And if you ask a lot of my teammates, they would tell you that I had a hard time learning it. Um, you know, I had a couple of years where I was just really negative and really selfish. Um, and I've kind of grown out of it, but it, it takes a long time. And I'm, you know, everybody's life, you know, happens in different ways and everybody has different experiences and you bring different things to a team. Um, and having that team mindset, you just, when you get those, it's, you know, end goal like we want to work on process and not outcome all the time but the outcome of being a team player is getting that w and feeling it with you feel it in all 11 people around you like you you feel it in in your teammates you feel it it's it's something so different than if you worked for something yourself and you think you did a good job 
that's great. But I mean, it, it's just such a totally different feeling to, to come away with a, a win or even just a, like a hard spot loss and know that you helped your teammate out. You helped them be better. Um, I actually said to some of my coaching staff when we left Halifax, you know, I, I don't know that the, the last match was my best match of the tournament point wise or score wise, but you know what? It felt to me that I was the best athlete that I could have been for every teammate I had on the court. You know, I think that I was helpful in uplifting people. And I think that I was helpful, you know, going and getting those balls that we didn't think we could get and, you know, getting clinched spots and, you know, getting my serve in and that kind of stuff. But I think it sometimes it's just helping other people that just makes the sport way better. Um, it's definitely a hard lesson to learn. And, you know, it's easy sometimes, especially right now, to be selfish and to not want to to focus on your team or anything else. Anybody else's problems, too. So that's sometimes a hard one, too. You know, you never know what other people are going through. But that's why we play a team sport, you know. That's why I'm not a swimmer, for sure. <laughs> um <laughs> It's it's so great to just I know that you know I, Joe on my team is definitely my best friend kind of thing and I know that any time that like I'm feeling down or anything like that I can text her and she knows the same right so just having that back and forth and and trusting the people with you I think that that's something that our team has and something that we've worked for a lot is um, just the trust in one another to if we're having a bad game or if we're having a bad point that we can take a look at somebody else and just say, you know, what I talked to Sarah before our last match. I was like, I don't know how I'm feeling. And there's, I said to her, I'm like, I'm just going to look to you. Just, you know, tell it to me straight or just give me a look and, you know, I'm going to be back in it. And it worked, you know, so you just, you can't always do it on your own for sure. So having that team, you know, goal team mindset, it uh, really makes a big difference. Awesome. Awesome. So I think, experience kind of gets used as just like a, a surface level thing sometimes in sports where we don't really dive into what that means. So for somebody like you, who's gone through the experience of building the foundation for the team and then, you know, being a Paralympian at Rio and going to world championships, what are some like examples of lessons you can give for the team to say that like, you know, the, the experience from this made us better because of this situation. Like when we played the U S on this stage or we played Brazil, like what are some lessons that have really helped the team progress and be ready to, you know, be a threat in Tokyo? Yeah, I mean, I think that we have definitely had some really great lessons and some really bad lessons. I can definitely think of when we were in World Championships in 2018. Um, you know, we lost in the round robin to the Netherlands. Um, and it was definitely a team that we thought that, you know, we would go in there and take. And uh, they took it from us. And that was a really hard-fought loss to go back from that and then have to play in quarterfinals and then go on to, to play them for seventh that was something totally different. You know, we went in there and we knew we had lost to them. We knew that they were going to work hard. Um, we They were the home team, right? And uh, playing for, for what they, you know, was the best that we were going to get. And we went in there and we trusted each other and we just played our heart out in every single point. Um, and we did win. And that was just kind of an unreal feeling. I have never, like, it, it just sticks. You know, you just feel it in your chest goosebumps but just knowing that a game is never done until you're done you know we went in there and we the first time and we we didn't play our best and then we knew that we were going to have to fight hard for that seventh place and you know nobody ever really wants to play for seventh place but it was where we were and it was an exciting time for us to you know finish in top eight in world championships 
Um, it was the first for Team Canada, so we really wanted to push and fight hard and to play a team that we had already lost to in that tournament uh, was definitely really tough, but we fought through it and we won. And that, that was kind of definitely a switching point for us. I think, um, you know, we were no longer the losing team, you know, we had won for that seventh place. We had won against a team that had already beat us. So there was kind of a, okay, no, we, we are going to win. Like we're not the underdogs anymore. We're going to be better. We're going to fight hard. So that was definitely a really great lesson in the end. But definitely, you know, Peru had some some tough lessons when we played against Brazil. You know, Brazil's always been a tough one for us. You know, they've been beating us since we first played them back in 2011. And, you know, it's kind of like an arch nemesis kind of thing at this point. Um, you know, they're in our zone. So we play them, you know, every other year at least. And it's definitely that team that I don't know personally I would just really want to beat. Um, and we thought we got close in that first game against them when we were in Peru. Um, and then we came out for that second match that was the you know the match to get that Tokyo berth, and we just didn't play hard enough. Um, and they they played really hard. I mean they they're a great team, and uh, they just they played better than we did. And so that was kind of a tough lesson to you know relearn how to lose. And then. For us, though, I think it was just learning on how to move past it because our next competition was Halifax, um, and we knew that this was going to be our last chance to qualify for Tokyo, and, you know, we had to leave it all out on the court. So we all went home. We all worked hard for six months, and we did it. We, we fought hard in Halifax, and, you know, we beat the other teams that were there, um, all the other teams that wanted to qualify for Tokyo. It definitely, I think it flipped a switch in a lot of our heads just being, you know, this is it. This is all we can do. All we got to do is we got to go home. And like you said earlier, we're a decentralized team a lot of the time. So we're all going home and and training by ourselves, right? You don't have that teammate next to you that's pushing you to be better. Um, You've got to push yourself a lot of the time. And, you know, I have Felicia here, which I'm super grateful for. So she's able to push me sometimes. And, you know, you get teammates that are texting you and that kind of thing. But it's definitely different than when you're, when you're, as a team connected, but we did meet earlier than Halifax. Um, we did meet together for a training camp prior to, uh, two training camps prior to, um, and I think that made a huge difference for us for sure. But definitely just, we learned that we needed to push and that we could do it because we, we saw how well we could play in our first match and in different matches over the summer. And going in, we, we saw that training camp that we had prior to, we, we were ready. We were fighting, um, we were pumped, you know, we were so stoked, but we just, we wanted to be there so bad. So, um, that was a, a really neat lesson as well to just be able to, to come out and, and take everything, you know, learn everything that we have over the past, you know, four years with each other and use it all. Uh, we went home and we worked so hard on those few months that we had, um, and came out and you could tell, you know, we were a totally different team in Halifax than we were in Peru. Um, it was, it was really amazing to play side by side with, um, my other teammates for sure. Yeah. So leading into Halifax, how did either like coach Van or some of the vets on the team, how do you get everybody on the same page? Cause I think, you know, being decentralized, th- there might be some vets who might want to, like overemphasize this event because they know it might be their only chance to, you know, be a Paralympian. There might be some younger athletes who are just there to soak it in. Like, how did you as a team get everybody on the same page where, you know, like this is, we've been working really hard. This is an expectation. Like we're going there to win the event. So how do you get so many people on the same page? Like you said, with, with almost like a homework style model. Yeah, we actually, we, that's exactly what we did. Um, our training camp, I think it was in January 
um, we sat down as a team and just had a little team meeting, a little mini post practice. Um, and we just said, okay, are we going to buy in for Halifax? Is this something that we're going to do as a team? And every single athlete bought in. Um, we worked hard. We've got a training manual that we only share with each other. And, you know, we post in it every day what we've done to better ourselves as an athlete and as a volleyball player. Um, and everyone bought in. But it was definitely that conversation that we had, I think, um, to just, like, make it stick, you know. Because it, it is, like you said, you know, you've got younger athletes that it's their first time and they're not really sure. And um, you've got athletes that are new to the team. And then definitely some of the vets that are, I mean, that, that want that another Paralympics, right, or want that first Paralympics, you know, they might not be back for 2024. So um, we definitely had that variety on the team as you know most teams have so uh definitely having that buy-in meeting and and just our chat about vulnerability and just you know being able to own it but being honest with your teammates as well you know you're only as good as the person next to you and i think we all wanted to be better for that person so that's i think what did it nice and when you arrived in halifax how were you feeling that this was going to be like a relief to to show all the work you put into it or was there maybe some added pressure because what was on the line, but also playing at home. Yeah, definitely all of that for sure. Um, I mean, we had been in Edmonton just prior to going to Halifax and we were working so hard and we were doing so well. And it felt so exciting that it just, I just wanted to be there. I just wanted it to be there. I just wanted to be in the game and I just wanted to play and know that we were going to go to Tokyo um, I knew how hard we were going to have to fight to get that birth from, um, you know, the Ukraine and Germany put up some pretty good fights. And I just, I wanted, I just wanted it to, to be there, you know, I, I had no patience whatsoever. And then on top of that, yeah, we're in Canada. So this is really exciting for us. I wasn't in uh, Toronto in 2015, so it was my first competition, um, major competition on home soil. So just being able to play in front of fans and family and, you know, you had that pressure of, you know, the MCs are talking about us all the time and, and all of this other stuff. And, you know, everybody just kind of saying, like, you've got to do it. This is this got to happen. So you definitely felt that pressure. I definitely, every morning, woke up early and went to bed early and did, like, a game day visualization. And I think that really made a huge difference for me to just feel more comfortable where I was because it is definitely, you get the crowds. And, you know, our, it wasn't a huge gym, but it was full of fans. I mean, Softball Canada came out and saw us, and it was pretty crazy. So just being able to just kind of settle in for myself was a big uh, big thing that I knew I needed to do because you definitely feel that pressure when you're there and in any competition, really. But definitely being on home soil just added that a little bit of extra. But maybe it was just the extra push that we needed for sure to uh, come out uh, come out swinging. Nice. And is that something that's been a party routine as a high level athlete? Because I, I imagine just going through the emotions, like I, I think it's on every scale, right? You're playing multiple. Well, there was a couple of days where you played multiple matches. You're, you're in a long tournament. So physically, mentally, emotionally, like everything's being affected. So did you have this routine built out or was this something you tried at the games? Like how did you kind of deal with the, the ups and downs of the event? Yeah. I mean, I've been working. I mean, Peru was definitely a big, I mean, since, since Rio, I've really been working on my mental training. But since Peru, it was definitely, uh, you know, for me, that was, I think, where I struggled a lot. So I came back and I got a mental performance coach here at home, um, as well as our team mental performance coach. And I worked on it a lot. And so the visualization was something that a lot of people had talked to me about before. And a game day visualization to just feel comfortable in, in the place that you're at. 
And I think that that made a huge difference. A game day visualization I had worked on as well with, uh, with uh, Deanna Schneier and prior to World Championship in 2018. And I think that that helped as well. It wasn't something that I did in Peru, and I think that that made a difference, to be honest. So I definitely wanted to bring it back going into Halifax, and I did it every morning. Felicia can tell you I just sat on my bed all quiet, and so she just kind of meandered around me and just kind of went through a walkthrough of the gym and a talk with my coach and then rotations on the court, and I think it made a huge difference because as soon as I got out there, I wasn't as, you know, you want to find that perfect excitement level, right? You don't want to be too excited because then you're, you know, swinging out the back and all that kind of stuff, and you don't want to be too low either because then, you know, we tell our teammates all the time on our team, you get to change your face because sometimes you just look super <laughs> down, right? So that's a, that's a big phrase that we use. So finding that, that middle ground, I think definitely the game day visualization helped a lot. So uh, definitely something that I'm implementing in every future competition. And I'm just doing it home here prior to working out in my garage gym. So with how often you're doing it, do you ever catch yourself in some of those moments where you're like, wow, this is going exactly to plan? Like, have you ever been in that much flow state where what you planned and kind of mapped out that morning is what's happening in the game? Yeah, it was really neat. It wasn't something that I had ever experienced before, um, but in Halifax, I did. Um, even, like, we, we'd have pre-game meetings with our coach, and Nicole would be talking about what our game plan was, and I'd be sitting there, and I'd be like, I, I'd have deja vu. I'd be like, I was here already. We've already done this. Like, what is happening? And then I just, you know, you just go through it. And um, same thing on the court, you know. I'd be going back to serve and definitely a service routine. I mean, as we all know, that service pressure can be tough, right? So the service routine is in my game day visualization. And I'd be going back and I'd be like, okay, I did this in my visualization and I scored an eight. Here we go. And just, I felt so much more calm than I ever have in a competition before. Um, it was just, it was surreal. My, my mom has, you know, always said that you, all, the only thing you can control is your serve. And so, you know, that was definitely a big one for me growing up is not missing my serve. And so it's definitely hard, right? I mean, you think that just like hitting the ball into a court is just going to be like easy peasy, no big deal. And then, you know, it's not really, um, but it's definitely the mental part of it that, that makes it tricky. So um, I think that doing that visualization, I just, you know, I scored an ace near the end of the, the the final match. And that is just, to me, I didn't even feel any extra excitement or anything like that. It was just, I was here and my job is to serve and um, yeah, to score an ace at 23 points um, in the third set was, it was just, yeah, definitely remembering that, that moment for the rest of my life. So yeah, that service routine and uh, the visualization is going to be in my, in my ticket box for forever. And how have you managed switching to a different goal? Because it's amazing. I think the environment in Halifax is great. You qualified. So how much do you enjoy that versus kind of letting your mind wander to the next goal where we just don't want to participate in Tokyo. We want to be a contender. Like how much do you enjoy a previous goal versus like, okay, we accomplished that. Now I'm on to the next thing. Yeah, I think it's really just coming home and you want to, I mean, come home and enjoy it for a bit and then just going straight into Tokyo, right? I mean, when we got back, we didn't know I mean, it was just a few days, really, maybe a week or so until the Paralympics were postponed. But you just want to move right on, you know? Okay, so it's March 1st, I think it was when we got back, and Tokyo is August 24th. So I've got this many days to prepare for the next competition. And now that we've beat the Ukraine and Germany, we, we are a contender, you know? This is something that we've been fighting for for so long with this program. 
And we've just, we've got to fight for it. We've got to push for it. We've got to train every day to be that team. So for me, that's all it was. It's, okay, I'm home. I'm here. Let's go. And yeah, like we want to be contenders in Tokyo. Um, we, we're going to be playing against the top teams in the world. And we know that, you know, we're, we're getting up there and, and we want to be up there. And, you know, now we've got another year to train. So that's <laughs> exciting. So hopefully you gained a lot of attention with Halifax with some home fans and getting some attention. So if somebody were to jump on the bandwagon right now, that is the women's city team, what would you kind of say things to look for? Like, are, are we an organized team that we, you can identify the system of play? Are we going to go for bombs from the service line? Like what are some, some maybe identity skills that when you watch team Canada, like these things are going to stand out to the average volleyball fan that they can really get behind and start to watch the game on more of a, a tactical level. Yeah, we were definitely a serving team um, in Halifax for sure. And that's definitely something that we've striven for um, and that we pushed in this last year to become. Um, and it's definitely come out. I mean, Jen Oaks, uh, all of her aces in Halifax were unreal. Um, that Spencer was something that she'd only been working on for maybe a year. And she just came out hot, you know, um, and that's something that we want to continue. Um, we are a smaller team, like I said, so, you know, we don't have that big block all the time or those you know necessarily big big attackers but we do have strong servers and even if you're you know a few inches shorter you can be a strong server so definitely what, what we're going to keep fighting for and keep pushing for and then just working on all other aspects of our game as well so we've given sarah a few shout outs for kind of educating us in city and we've also had uh doug leroyd for the men's team on so when you say aggressive serving just help us out because i think what's great a great rule about sitting and very unique is you can block a serve right so when you're back there at the service line what are you tactically trying to do like is it similar to indoor where we're trying to get behind the setter are we shooting it into seams like what are some things that the team canada really focuses on from the service line yeah definitely both of those i mean um talking to setters and stuff, it is definitely harder to see the ball and see your athletes and see the blockers on the other side when the ball's coming from behind you. So definitely something that we've uh, focused on. Lane to lane is huge. And you want to find those lanes between blocks, right? So you still want to keep it low to the net because as soon as you're getting that height, it's the same as standing. The ball's coming down slower. You've got more time to get behind it and all those kinds of things. So you want that hard and flat serve to the back of the court. And so you want it, you want to find between those blocker hands, or I mean, if you've got a big team, you've got to just go up above. And I think Jen did a really good job of that with her spin serve um, in Halifax um, and finding those those lanes and finding the seams between players. I mean, in sitting volleyball as well, uh, we can all only move one way. We can move one way much better than the other way. So you want to find those seams between passers as well, where you know they're they uh, they can't move into that seam as well. So definitely something that we look at, you know, where legs are positioned and that kind of thing, which is definitely obviously very different than standing volleyball. But we're uh, working on a lot of different tactics on on how to get that strong serve. I mean, I've got a float serve, so it's definitely just trying to get between the blocks um, or right over top of hands so people can't see it coming. Awesome. Awesome. This is really good stuff. So with fans starting to, you know, get into the sitting game like we hope, what stands out in your mind that maybe Team USA does well or Team Brazil? Like, what are some things that happen to certain teams as they climb the ladder? Like, are there certain skills or tactics that stand out versus like a, a top three team in the world versus somebody uh, maybe lower that you would have saw in Peru or, or a different zonal competition? Yeah, I think there's uh, quite a few different tactics that people around the world are using. I mean, Brazil and the USA um, both play a 5 1 
with a lot of movement. They move really well, and they're big players, too, so they can take up a lot of court space, whereas we're smaller, so we're actually having to move behind the ball a lot more. So definitely just that ball control to the center is obviously, like in any you know, standing, sitting beach, it's, that's going to be what, what gets you the point. So definitely what they're doing well. Um, they've got, you know, the USA has some big hitters on their team as well, so that doesn't hurt. But it's definitely just the ball control and the movement um, in the back row to, to get into a good defensive position quickly, right? I mean, that ball's coming a lot faster at you than you think it is, and you've got a lot less time to get into 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 your zone. So definitely things that they're working on. Um, whereas, you know, China works really well. They've all got great hands. Um, you watch the, the Chinese, and a lot of the time, you know, they're hitting on two. They're not even waiting for their setter. You know, if they're setting out a four or two, they're just hitting that ball um, if they've got an open space. Um, and so you, as a blocker, now, you know, you're not only blocking just a, a dump. You know, you're blocking a straight-on attack over the net so you've got to stay on your hitters a lot longer than you would so that definitely makes it harder to close blocks against them for sure um, and they're really good at just changing the flow of the game as well so definitely something both both of those um, are definitely things that we're trying to take as our team and kind of build to create our own sense of where we want to be and what we want to be doing so looking ahead to Tokyo, obviously, with what's happened in the world, it is what it is at this point. But how is the national team staying connected? Like you mentioned, uh, they're doing a good job staying organized. So you have a buddy system of who you talk to. Like, are you guys still having meetings? Are you big into journals? Like, how are you staying connected to the goal, even though we're all facing this uh, bit of an unknown, I guess? Yeah, um, I think our team's been doing a great job. I mean, since maybe partway through March, maybe beginning of April, um, we do weekly team meetings. So we're meeting every week and just having, you know, anywhere from a 20 minute to a one hour chat to see a, how people are doing, B, um, like just if our, um, strength and conditioning coach or physios are implementing new programs for us in the gym, um, or just working on, you know, um, Nicole had us do, you know, video homework and movement homework and that kind of stuff. So we're kind of got a weekly meeting where we can all see each other's faces and kind of get that, that feeling back. Um, and then also just talking, you know, tactics and technical and, and all the little things that we could be doing at home while, you know, this is ongoing. Obviously, none of us can be in the gym or anything like that either. So just being able to see each other and, and do what we can while we're at home has been great. Um, I think that it's it's been really good, and all of our coaching staff is included as well. So we it's a big group. And you did mention that uh, there was plans to go to Egypt before all this happened. So will you have a chance to kind of ramp it up in competition, or will Tokyo be the the next big thing on your calendar in the following year? Uh, we don't know. Um, everything's still pretty up in the air as it is with most sports. Um, I mean, our hope definitely is to have a couple of competitions before, um, you know, World Cup was supposed to happen um, and we were supposed to be training and traveling with a couple of different teams. So definitely still hoping for, for a couple of international competitions before we get going. I mean, a year and a half without is a long time. Uh, so definitely that's in the hopes for next year. Now, me personally, I'm taking this day by day. We don't know what's going to happen and nothing that's in our control. So definitely focusing on that control, the controllables, and hopefully we get a competition out of it. But if not, then we'll just keep training on our own and get ready for that fight in Tokyo. 
Awesome. Awesome. Hopefully this has uh, converted more of our listeners into sitting fans and we have lots to look forward to. Uh, it was unlucky that the men didn't get their chance to play their, their Olympic qualifier, but hopefully that gets back underway soon. So it's good that you've claimed your spot. So obviously listening to your story, you've played at the highest level. You've got to represent Canada in Rio and you'll be in Tokyo, but man, some funny stuff still happens to volleyball players every once in a while. So what we're trying to make a tradition on the show is just to finish off with a funny story that again, shows that you're, you're a high level athlete, but man, some stuff still happens every once in a while. So I was hoping you could give us a story before we let you go. Oh, sure. Um, I mean, I am born and raised in the lower mainland, so it's very hot and sunny here most of the time. If it's not raining, that is. Um, so we had a training camp in May. Uh, I think this was two years ago. So it was like 30 degrees here, like hot, sunny. So I brought my volleyball Canada sweater, like it's a light little fleece sweatshirt, um, and my Lululemon tights. And uh, showed up in Edmonton in a snowstorm. So we had four days of snow, and all I had was a sweater and flip-flops. So that taught me a lesson. Uh, all of my teammates and workmates definitely make sure I bring a jacket with me every time I travel now. So it's a little unfortunate, but it was, uh, yeah, we made it through. <laughs> <laughs> so with all of the uh, Alberta teammates you have, did they just look at you like you're crazy because they, they're used to this weather in May, I feel like? Yeah, they knew it was happening. I mean, they had snow the other day as well. So, I mean, now I know Edmonton gets snow in, in May. I mean, that seems crazy to me. 30 degrees here right now. So, I uh, I think we should move training to BC. I just keep telling everybody that, but nobody's going for it. <laughs> <laughs> I shouldn't complain too much. Toronto got snow the other day as well. I think it's only BC that's been super lucky. Yeah, love it here. <laughs> well danielle thank you so much for taking the time a little bit into overtime but it was worth it to hear all these stories and hear your experience and, and like i said it's, it's great to, to see how the women's team's progressing into tokyo so once everything's back i'm sure everybody will be rooting for you and just another shout out to lisa tam and sarah for helping get you on the show i think it's, it's great that we're we're connecting with uh, national team athletes from all disciplines and it, it was great for you to take the time yeah it's amazing thank you so much for this for sure